Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Today's wish comes from Erica Keswin. Erica is a workplace strategist and best-selling author who's worked with brands like IBM, American Red Cross, TIA, and Microsoft. And her work has been featured in outlets like Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, O Magazine, and Entrepreneur, just to name a few. And Erica is the author of three wonderful books, most recently, The Retention Revolution, Seven Surprising and Very Human Ways to Keep Employees Connected to Your Company. She was also a guest on the show way back on episode 26. We're glad she's back for more. Erica, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be back. Great to have you. So for one more time, what do you wish people knew? I wish people knew that um, the soft stuff is really the hard stuff and the important stuff. And that, I know we'll get into some of that today, but that would be my wish. So in the book, you talk a lot about how to attract and most importantly, keep your best talent And one of the ways to do that, you say, is to treat employees like customers, which to me is somewhat of a counterintuitive idea because we're always told, you know, your customers, you know, you work for them, but your employees, they work for you. What do you mean by that? Yeah. But if you treat your employees like your customers, um, you know, it's really your employees that are on the front lines that are taking care of your best customers, of all your customers. So if you treat your employees well, they will in turn treat your customers well. So in that way, they are your most important customers. Okay, so there's this virtuous cycle that is created. The way you treat them is the way they treat you. Yeah, yeah, and they're gonna pay it, they're gonna pay it forward. I mean, you always, you can tell when you're in certain establishments and, and, you are being treated a certain way and people love to work there, it's because they are treated well and that they are in turn treating you well as the quote unquote customer or end user. So it all is a virtuous cycle. Okay, so one of the ways that we determine whether people stay is how they actually arrive. And I know that for you onboarding is a huge art and part of retention. Tell me as you, prepared and researched this book and spoke to different companies, what are some of the more creative ways, some of the more compelling examples of how companies are actually getting that right? Yeah, I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit when it comes to onboarding. The The name of the chapter is start as you mean to go on boarding. And this phrase, start as you mean to go, go on, comes from a psychologist out of the United Kingdom named Penelope Leach, who was a child psychologist actually, and found that you know, when your kids are little, if you want them to be neat and tidy young adults and they drop their Cheerios on the floor when they're little, help them pick them up or get them to pick them up themselves. So in other words, start as you mean to go on. And so if we if we translate that to the workplace from the company side, well, you know, you only get one chance to make that first impression. And the ability that a company has to connect new employees early and often to a company's values and mission, even during the recruiting process, will enable them to feel that much more connected earlier, 
have an impact. And, and there is a lot of data in the book that shows the correlation between strong and intentional onboarding and retention. So there's a couple you know, great examples in the book. One is um, Humu, which was started by the former head of HR at, at Google, Laszlo Bach, a company called Humu. And you know they really look at their onboarding, not just the first day, the first week, the first month. It goes out to 90 days. They have a lot of different things that, um, that are very intentional that take place at different moments. One of them that I love though, is what they call this 14 day graduation. And um, what they do is on an employee's 14th day, and this has become a ritual um, in the company, if you, I, if I'm a new employee at Humu, I am a Numu, and let's say you were my new, you were the buddy of the Numu, you would then go and in preparation for my 14th day graduation, and you would chit chat with all the people with whom I've worked the most, find out and get some quotes on what I've done, how well I've done, the impact that I've had, um, and then what they do on the 14th day is that there's an all hands meeting, everybody comes and there is a new moo graduation, which really is a celebration. And as, as my buddy, you would then share quotes from all the people with whom I've worked about the impact that I'm having. And what I love that, what I love about this is not rocket science, literally costs nothing, but a little bit of time. And we know that when someone's new in a job, they're often unsure, am I doing the right things? Am I making an impact? You know, what is, where was, where, what is my place here? And in that moment, two weeks in, um, you have all these people saying, Eric, I loved when you did this. I loved when you said that. And it, it really reconnects you um, in that moment to the purpose and the mission and, and to, to, you know, why you took the job and, and hopefully it's just the beginning of a very long journey. Yeah. It validates you and it shows your value. Yeah. And it makes you feel seen. Um, and what I love that goes with that um, is something that the C that now uh, former CEO and executive chairman, you know, Laszlo Box said, but you know, when, when they're hired, he'll, he'll say to each person, um, you know, you know, Joe, it, we're so glad that you are joining. Don't take the pressure off yourself for the first couple of weeks, for the first month. We hired you for a reason and you've already proven yourself. You deserve to be here. So don't stress about all these little things. And I sort of feel like the combination of this celebration, they're celebrating whatever it is that you did, but you also were told in the beginning not to worry that that you need to start proving yourself from day one because you are meant to be there. Mm. Yeah, so it gives that that space, that almost permission for them to just be and do what they were there to do in the first place. Exactly. To, to exactly. Yeah. No, it's the it's the it's the space and the freedom and the permission. And again, not rocket science. And when I think about this idea of bringing your human to work and what is a human workplace. That's a human workplace. That is that is saying as part of our onboarding, we know human nature and how people are probably showing up in those first few weeks. And we know that if we do and say some of these things, it's not only good for people, but it's also good for business, right? That these things are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I love the fact that all the things that you've highlighted so far are super cost effective, probably cost neutral. Uh, or even no cost at all. And the benefits are just tremendous. Yeah. 
one of the issues you you tackle in the book is work flexibility, but the way you position it, it's not merely a question of where people go to work. It's what they're doing and who they're with when they're there. Talk about that. Yeah. So the the acronym that I use in this chapter of the book, it's called ACING Flexibility. AA is for agency and autonomy that every role, and I believe where there's a will, there's a way, even the roles that you never thought before the pandemic could have some semblance of flexibility can do that. And even a few hours of, of working from wherever can go a long way. The C in async flexibility is connection that we need to design for connection. I'll dig into that a little bit more deeply in a minute. And the E is thinking about flexibility through the lens of equity. Not every job is going to be equal in terms of the kind of flexibility you and I, you know, right now, you know, in these knowledge jobs can can work pretty flexibly. But if if someone's checking me into a hotel, unless it's a robot, I guess, um, you know, the person kind of needs to be there. So the the C though is it gets to your question, which is designing time in the office that's that's worth the commute and this will this will date me and show my advanced age but as a kid I watched the love boat and on the show called the love boat if there's any listeners that have no idea what I'm talking about you can look it up but on the love boat there was a cruise director named Julie McCoy and that was her job which was to curate connection and what I like to think about in the office today irrespective of whether you're coming in every day, once a month, every quarter, twice a year, whatever it is, we need to curate those moments of connection. Now, it doesn't need to be all day, every day. You know, if you're only going in twice a year, like I just did in a big event at Microsoft with a team that gets together every day for a week, twice a year, those two weeks are pretty curated pretty much every hour, including some downtime and and a volunteer day and all of these different things. But if you have a company and you're coming in three days a week, I'm not saying you have to curate every hour of that, but you do want to have some moments that matter. You do want to think about, you know what, if Wednesday's our day that everybody's in, you know, let's have an all hands. Let's get together in person and all talk about something. Let's have a learning and development moment or hour for people. And then maybe on a Tuesday when it's just when the team comes in, maybe that's the day the team does a lunch or people meet one-on-one with their managers. Um, what you don't want, the opposite of that is is the recipe for resentment, which I describe as um, driving into or commuting an hour and a half into the office, only having a portion of your team there and doing the exact same kind of work you could have been doing from home. So when in doubt with what you should be doing, just do the opposite of that. <laughs> okay, so so be more intentional, be more thoughtful, and I guess approach these these opportunities to gather with more empathy and intelligence. Yeah, yes. And I would say um, more empathy, more intelligence, and more as you're as you're I believe that employees are ready for for leaders to put a stake in the ground. I think the kindness is clarity and this back and forth and wishy-washy, you, you know, it's almost like yeah. um I think about it with my kids that you know, kids might complain that they have a curfew but at the end of the day like they they feel safe with boundaries. Mm. Um and actually on a total personal note, like I growing up didn't have a curfew and I remember 
because of my own sort of family stuff that was going on, almost wish that I did because there is this feeling of, well, don't you care when I'm coming home? So, I, you know, not that I, you can always equate this to, to the workplace, but I think that there is something about creating the guardrails and the scaffolding. But what I would urge leaders to do as they listen to this is approach it. This is my recipe. The recipe for a human leader in this moment is one part vulnerability. You know, you can say to your employees, look, I haven't, oh, we haven't had a global pandemic and had to figure this out after everybody went home. Um, number one, one part empathy, which is, you know, I know, Joe, this has not been easy back and forth in and out. And, and we've been trying to put a stake in the ground and now we're going to do it. But number three, this is like the kicker and really important because this is such a heightened and emotional issue for a lot of people. It is approaching it through the lens of experimentation and saying, look, we're giving this a shot and we are we have we have positive intent. This these are our goals. But you know what? If this doesn't end up working, we might pivot. And I think it takes the temperature down of, of a very heightened issue. Mm, and it's bringing people on board with that process so that they feel like they're actively involved in it yeah. and are, you know, have some role in actually shaping it as opposed to just receiving it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk about one thing you mentioned just a moment ago about uh, the role of continuous learning and development. And development comes in lots of different forms and fashions. And while there's still a, a hunger out there for development opportunities, they're not all necessarily the same kind as before. What have you observed has changed in the delivery and even the design of continuous learning in the workplace? Yeah. So I think it's, I think in terms of the same, I think there is a human desire to learn and grow and develop. I think one of the things, the trends that, I, that has changed, and I've, I address it a little bit in all of my books, is, is this idea of taking professional development personally, that, you know, gone are the days of we are only going to help you develop with these very technical skills that are exactly related to your job now versus you know, let's have a conversation, you know, Joe, how do you, how do you want to learn and develop? And maybe there are opportunities that where we can help you as an organization grow and develop. Maybe it's not related to your day job right now. It might be related to a future job, or it might just be related to your development as a person. And so, and again, the reason why a lot of these ideas are good for people and good for business is that People are going to leave if they don't feel like they're developing. And when there are fewer rungs in the ladder, we've got to get creative. So you might not, you might be sort of quote unquote stuck and not be able to move up, but there are plenty of people that might be really happy kind of staying doing what they're doing if they feel like they can grow. And an awesome example, it's not in the book, but because, you know, when you write a book, then they cut it off and they're like, okay, you got a hand in the book. But this is a great example. Again, cost nothing. So I have a leader who sat down with her team and said, all right, everybody, look, I cannot, you know, predict the future or, you know, I don't have responsibility over, you know, these macroeconomic swings and how it might impact the company overall. But here's what I can control. And here's what I can promise you. What I want you all to do is I want you to go find a job description that is a job that you might want to have in three to five years. It could be within our company. It could be somewhere else. And let's look at the skills that you would need to successfully do that job. And, let's, and, and then let's look at your skills today and let's look at the gaps. 
she said, what I can promise you is that as your manager, I'm going to help you close those gaps. And we are going to have these conversations. And when I heard this, you know, again, not rocket science, doesn't have to cost anything. I'm like, wow, I'd stay at that company in two seconds. I'd stay with that leader because that leader is just going to help me develop and invest in me in ways that I will have for the rest of my career. And they want to know what our thoughts are as far as prospecting out to what the future for our careers could look like. Right, right. And we're and work backwards versus saying, well, these are the only roles that we might have here for you. And, and giving again, it goes back to your comment before. It's like both of these, there's a couple bit of a couple of examples here about where these leaders have given the people that that work for them sort of permission and space, you know, which maybe is a theme of that I hadn't really connected those dots around a human leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you make this point often that even if you were to develop your people and they leave, well, you've probably just kept them longer than they would have been around. And even when they leave, they're going to be paying it forward in terms of being your brand ambassador. 100%. They might come back as a boomerang. They might, they'll, they'll buy your products. They will tell their friends and family. And, and again, this idea of, of leaving gracefully and, and having the willingness to potentially develop somebody right out the door. I mean, it could be right out of your department, but it also could be right out of the company. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, we get the kind of companies that we deserve. And if we take the time and the intention to create those conditions, like you've described here today, we're more likely to keep our people. The book is The Retention Revolution. The author, and I'm glad I've retained her for another conversation on the show, is Erica Kazuin. Erica. Thanks for sharing your wish with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.